The New Testament reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 23. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here ends the New Testament reading. Father God, thank you for your word and the way you speak to us through it. Help us now by your Holy Spirit understand it. And then help us to live in the light of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, take a seat. Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's good to be back. Uh, It's time now to pick up a Bible and turn back to page 982. And that'll bring you back to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, which was read a little bit earlier. Well, of course, what we're going to do now is to think a bit more about that reading. And uh, as we do so, we want to ask God to help the truth of it to sink deeper into our hearts and minds. And we want to take time to respond and act on what God is saying to us through it. That's our task for these next few minutes. Now, if you've been coming the last few months, you'll know that we've been getting to know this book pretty well. Each week, we've looked at a small part of it. And this week is our last week, and we've come to the final few paragraphs of the book of Philippians. A reminder, especially if you're here for the first time, that the book of Philippians is a letter. It was written by a man named Paul, who lived around the same time as Jesus. And Paul was one of the leaders that God used to spread the church from Jerusalem, where it first started, throughout the whole world. And on his journey, on his travels around um, what, was ne- what is now known as Greece, he visited Philippi and helped start a new church there. Well, when he left the church, uh, they continued to send him gifts, and they helped him to start new churches elsewhere and to continue his work of telling people about Jesus. Eventually, however, by telling people about Jesus, he got locked up in prison in Rome. And that is where Paul is when he wrote this letter to the church that he'd started 10 years earlier. Now, one of the reasons he'd written the letter was to say thank you for the gifts that the church had sent him. A man called Epaphroditus had come from Philippi. He'd almost died on the journey, 
And he'd come to bring food and money, supplies for Paul to help him for his time in prison. In ancient Rome, and that's still true actually in some countries today, prisoners, although they were imprisoned by the government, were not looked after uh, by the government. And so the food and the clothing that they needed had to be provided from those outside the prison. And one of the ways that the Philippian church helped Paul was by sending food and money for him while he was in prison. They also sent Epaphroditus himself, who was sent to look after Paul. If you just turn back one page to Philippians 2.25, a bit of revision for you here. Uh, We heard about this a bit earlier, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the Philippians sent Epaphroditus with a gift to Paul, and now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back with a thank you letter, uh, which is what we know today as the book of Philippians in our Bibles. And right here at the end of the letter, he comes back to this topic of the gift that they had sent him, and he ends the letter by saying thank you to them. So look at chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, no opportunity to show it. And in verse 14, he says to them, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And in verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having, been, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, which are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so we see in these verses that Paul is grateful for their help. And he tells them that he is grateful. That's the first thing I want you to notice from these verses. Paul is grateful for their help. In fact, the Philippians are a great example for us to follow. They saw someone trying to tell others about Jesus. And they gave generously to help make that possible. God loves a generous heart. And as we read about them and their generosity, it asks of us, how can we do the same? Well, fairly simply, look for those in need and help them. Look for those who are wanting to tell others about Jesus and support them. Let me give you three examples or perhaps some suggestions. Firstly, there's an example in the notice sheet where there is support asked for Tabitha's place. They provide free, good quality children's clothing books and toys. And if you look on their Facebook page, they say they provide those to people in this area in Jesus' name. Could we support them? And another good example from the notice sheet is the need for leaders, for scramblers and climbers and explorers. Ken's already said a lot about that, so I won't labor the point, but can you perhaps help with some of those needs over the next few months? 
But secondly, it's not all about church or formal programs, is it? It's important to get together like this on a Sunday. But for many of us, the rest of the week is full of opportunities, yet we are pretty much on our own. There are perhaps not many other Christians in our school or at work or in our family. So a question we can ask ourselves when we meet together is how can we help one another by what we do when we're together to live and speak for Jesus for the rest of the week? How can we share one another's troubles, to use that language that Paul uses? Perhaps in the coffee break afterwards or in your, uh, when you meet up uh, later on, you could ask each other how you can pray for one another and then follow that up perhaps with a text or an encouraging word during the week. And then third suggestion, we can give money to help support those who've stopped earning a living so they can devote more time and energy to leading and organizing the church. Some are in this country, like the church staff. Some are in other countries, such as our mission partners. And there's plenty of information in the notice sheet and in the stands around the building on how you can do that. But the support that we can offer is not just about money. The Philippians showed their love for Paul by writing and sending someone to visit. And they also prayed for him. And so there are lots of ways that you can support church workers as well as missionaries working throughout the world. But however we do it, it's good to remember that when we give to others, like the Philippians gave to Paul, we are giving to God. Look again at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, which are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And so when we receive help from others, it's also true that that is the way that God is providing for us and looking after us and meeting our needs. So let's remember to give as the Philippians gave, and let's remember why we give to please the Lord. Paul is grateful to God for their help and he tells them and we too should be generous like the Philippians. One of the things I've learned by meeting people from all over the world is that there are lots of different ways to give and receive presents. In some countries it's polite to open the gift immediately in front of the person who gives it to you. In others the polite way to respond to someone giving you a gift is to put it to one side and open it later when they've left. In some countries, it's even polite to refuse a gift several times before accepting it. My mum's Jordanian, and that's the custom there. So often my friends would come home from school and she would insist on giving them the gift of food, and they would say no, and she'd offer again and again and again until they eventually accepted, (laughs) even though they didn't want it, because they didn't think she could understand what she was saying. But in her mind, the right way to accept a gift is not to accept it straight away, because that would appear to be greedy. Now, those differences can cause confusion and humor. For example, traditionally in Mexico, you would not give yellow or purple or red flowers as a gift. However, white flowers are good. Now, in Hong Kong, however, white flowers are not good. Red is very good. And in Poland, red and white flowers are both bad. So don't get your flowers or your colours mixed up. 
But whatever the differences we may find in giving and receiving gifts, I'm sure that everyone agrees that the right thing to do, the polite way to respond to a gift, is to say thank you and to tell everyone how much you like the gift. A few years ago, when we came to Moving House, I found a box full of thank you cards that had been written to say thank you to those who'd given us presents at our wedding. Bear in mind, this is three years after our wedding, and I suddenly realized that on my to-do list uh, given to me by my wife that included post-thank you cards, I had obviously completely forgotten to do it and had carefully filed the box uh, in one of our cupboards. <laughs> when this came to light, of course, my wife wasn't happy. Why? Because the polite thing to do is to say thank you when you receive a gift. All of that begs the question, so why then did Paul write a letter and effectively say, thank you for the gift, but I don't actually need it. Did you spot that in chapter 4, verse 11? Let's start at verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, thanks for the gift, but I was just as happy before I received it as I am now. I don't need your gift, and your gift does not make me content. Can you imagine saying that to someone when you give them a gift. I do not actually need your gift. When my brother was a teenager, and just before he left home, I bought him what I thought was a great little present, a little coffee machine. He liked coffee, I had checked that, but I later found that present in the bin. It seemed he decided, who needs the faff of a coffee machine when you can have instant coffee? But when I found that coffee machine in the bin, what it communicated to me was, I don't need your gift. Now, it's got a nice end to the story. My mum fished it out, and later, he was taught the uh, art of appreciating real coffee. But my point is this. Why, why does Paul say this? Why does he say it in this way? Why, when he writes this thank you letter, does he make such a point of this? He's just said thank you. Why spoil it by saying something like that? Of course, he's not being rude, is he? What Paul is doing is he's doing two things in these verses. He is saying thank you for their gifts, and he says so very warmly and very genuinely. But he also wants to teach them a lesson. The lesson that they should depend on the Lord rather than on human help. Their gifts were a joy and an encouragement to him. But he wasn't relying on those gifts. He loved their gifts, but he was also happy without them. In fact, he had learned to be happy even when he had nothing. And he knew that God would provide him with everything he needed and would give him strength to face every situation. Look at verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
Paul knows that sometimes we are not happy with what God has given us. There are all sorts of reasons why we may feel like that. Paul, however, had taught himself to find his contentment in the Lord and in all the things that he had because he was in a relationship with the Lord rather than in his circumstances. He knew that whatever else happened, he had blessings to count, which were always true. And as we look back on the book of Philippians, we've seen so many of those, haven't we? But for example, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul knows that whatever is happening to him, God is not against him. In fact, God is very much for him. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then died on the cross instead of him. The punishment for his sin had been paid and he'd received instead the status of a son, adopted into God's family, loved, forgiven, transformed, and with a sure and confident hope that his future was with God in heaven. He knew that the Lord was in control of everything and that the Lord was near As he says in these verses, the God of peace is with him. And even though that looked, even though the situation looked bad, it was under God's control. And he had plenty of proof, looking back on the cross, that God was for him. Paul had experienced good times and he'd been through hard times. And through it all, Paul taught himself to trust in God. To remind himself that God was still caring for him, even if it didn't look like it from the circumstances around him. And as I've been preparing this week, I've been struck again at how amazing it is that when Paul was sat in that prison in Rome 2,000 years ago, writing this thank you letter to the Philippians, the God knew that on the 10th of July 2016, St. Joseph's Church in Benwell would be reading those same words. And that God had arranged it so that those words were not just Paul's words, but God's message for us, his people here today. And I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I do know that this week I have really, really struggled with this issue of contentment. And I am so grateful that God arranged for me to speak on this passage today because I have really needed it. I've been asking myself, why, God? Why am I having to go through this? Why can't I have what I'm praying for? And in the words of verse 11, I've had to learn that in whatever situation... I am to be content. And I pray that whatever you are going through, God would speak to you through this part of his word this morning. Verse 11 says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I don't know exactly how Paul taught himself to be content, but I know that the Bible, God's word, is what we need to correct our vision so that we look at our lives with God's perspective. Let me just give you a quick example to show you what I mean. Turn back to page 453. I'll bring you back to Psalm 16, which was read for us earlier. Like Jonathan, this is one of my favorite psalms. I have read it many times this past week. And it is, and I keep, it is one of those psalms that I keep coming back to when I struggle with the issue of contentment, which is why I asked for it to be read in this service, let me just read a couple of those verses again for us. Psalm, verse, Psalm 16, verse 1. 
Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He says that you are my Lord. You're the boss. You know what you're doing. You are in control. And I have no good apart from you. In other words, you are all that I need. We see in these verses devotion to God and a delight in him. It reminds us, doesn't it, of Philippians 3 verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look down to verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, my food and my drink. You hold my lot. The lines, the dividing lines of where I live and where I don't live have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. There are so many reminders in these verses that are echo of what Paul is talking about in those passages in Philippians. God is in control and he is a good God. He will guide us. We are where we are because that's exactly where God has planned us to be. We are going through, what we are going through is good for us and for God's purposes. Even if the situation itself is not good and if we currently don't see how God is going to use it. And what we don't have is either not necessary for us or not good for us. And so as we end this series in Philippians, can I ask you, have you learnt with Paul to say, chapter 4, verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. Maybe there is a specific issue that you're struggling with right now. Well, can you say with Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And to end, I'm going to suggest that we express our response to the Lord in a couple of short prayers. We don't have to use these precise words, but maybe you'll find them helpful to you in articulating your own response. The first one goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that because you gave yourself fully for us on the cross, I can give my life fully to you. You have a right to everything and anything I am and have. I trust that you have my best interests at heart. And I don't need to be afraid to lose because I have you. Take my life, my love, my ambition, my future, my family and my finances and use them for your glory. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It may be that that is appropriate for you. Let me give you a minute or two just to respond to the Lord in that, in those words or in similar words. It may well be that you've never yet made that step of trusting in Jesus to forgive your sins. And you may not be ready yet, that's fine. You may be still thinking about what you are learning. and You may have lots of unanswered questions. 
Well, keep coming, keep thinking, keep asking. But it may be that as we've read through Philippians, that you've understood more clearly what Jesus has done for you and you're ready to follow him. In which case, maybe these words are more appropriate for you. Let me read them again. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that because you gave yourself fully for us on the cross, I can now be forgiven and become part of your family. I trust that your sacrifice on the cross is enough to make me clean before God and accepted by him. Forgive me for not loving you and not honoring you in my life before now. But now I want to follow you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit now and help me to live as a follower of Jesus from this day forward. Amen. Again, a moment to respond if that is more appropriate for you. Pray these words or similar words and the Lord will hear what you have to say. The great book of Philippians has been all about Christ's work on the cross. And if you have put your trust in him for the first time today, please come and tell someone afterwards so we can help you in your first few steps as a Christian. But for many of us, I hope that the book of Philippians has focused our minds and our hearts again on the Lord Jesus Christ and caused us to trust in him 